Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the second in our series of three Faith 101 webinars. Today, we are talking Christianity. What is Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to not be a Christian? What's going on here? I'm Hannah. I'm the teaching pastor of Urban Village Church. If you talk about me, you can use the pronouns she and her. And I'm so welcome. I'm so glad to welcome you to this series of conversations. That's what they are, conversations. We're not gonna come to all of the final conclusive answers you might want us to, but that's why we have things like continuing worship and small groups and time together and books to recommend to you. Also, we wanna hear from you. Um, so if you put up a comment on Facebook or YouTube where this is being live streamed right now on April 25th at 1 p.m. Central, we might share those comments um, in the chat uh, so that you can see them so that everyone can share in those wise things that you're saying. Or if you'd like to submit a question anonymously, you can ask it at onlinequestions.org, put in the event number 31255, and then you'll be able to ask any question you want and we will address it. If you're watching this not on Sunday, April 25th at 1 p.m., that's great. That's exactly what we want. This is gonna live online forever because we wanna continue the conversation, but we won't be able to live answer your questions. So sorry about that. <laughs> In a moment, you'll meet our panelists. We'll have a small um, panelist conversation and then we're gonna open it up to anything and anyone. So stay tuned for that. But first I wanted to talk a little bit about why this topic, what do we mean, why now? The idea of these three webinars was that we wanted to address the most frequently asked questions we get. So last Thursday, we talked about the Bible. What is it? How do you read it? What's going on there? Next Thursday, we're gonna talk about prayer. What does it mean to pray? What's hard about praying? What are the forms of praying? Are prayer and meditation different or the same thing? Can I do one or the other? Today, it's all about what is a Christian? Some of the most frequently asked questions I get are from people who are worried about whether or not they are a Christian, whether or not they count, and people who've never experienced Christianity before or experienced a Christian community before, which is what Urban Village is, asking me what's distinctive about that, what it means to be a Christian community of faith. Now, here's the reality. Christianity is a two billion strong religion Anything that has 2 billion people doing it and that's been around for 2,000 years is not just one thing. It's a lot of things. Christianity is an argument. It's a conversation. It's a lot of different kinds of people doing a lot of different kinds of things. You would think, right, we could at least find some commonalities. And yes, we can. Almost every Christian you run into holds this to be true that there was a man about 2000 years ago named Jesus, that he was born, that he lived, that he taught, that he healed, that he died, and that he was resurrected back into life. And in that miracle came the birth of our faith. But beyond that, we've got a lot of differences going on. <laughs> How do we think that happened? Why do we think that happened? What was God's role in that? Is God Jesus Christ? These are things that we may know in our hearts, in our brand of Christianity, but in which there's variation across the world and across time and history. You're gonna to hear today some versions of what it means to be a Christian and how we think about the Christian faith. But we're in the middle of the conversation too. We are changing our minds. We believe different things than we did 10 years ago. We will believe different things 10 years from now. 
you're catching us in the middle. So this conversation is not the one true final thing. It should be the beginning of discernment for you, of discernment with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus Christ, knowing that God created you, or maybe doubting it, depending on who you are and what's going on with you. Discernment towards what you believe, what you hold dear, and who you will be in community. That's the last thing I'll say about what it means to be saved and what it means to be a Christian, is that we live in a particular moment in time where a lot of people talk about that as an individual question, as if salvation can only happen to you at the level of a person. But the biblical witness and the faith witness is much more often about the salvation of communities, that the way we get saved is as a part of groups of nations that learn or don't learn how to be just, how to honor God, how to honor one another. And so we'll be talking at both of those levels today, the level of the person and your personal spiritual faith and the level of the community of what is happening to humanity and of what we think Jesus might mean for all of us. So let's welcome our panelists. Come on board, Juan Pablo and John, and they will be introducing themselves to you. So you heard who I am, Juan Pablo, who are you? Hi, um, I'm Juan Pablo. I'm the church plan resident at Urban Village Church. My pronouns are he and his. And John, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi everyone, I'm John. My pronouns are he, him, and his as well. And uh, I go to High Park Woodlawns, uh, the High Park Woodlawns side of Urban Village. And I'm a doctoral candidate in religious ethics at the University of Chicago. Welcome. Thanks so much for being here. We're going to start with a personal question um, because I think for most of us, these big questions about how things work, about who God is, are rooted in our personal experiences um, and in our own questions that apply to the lives we're living. So my question for you all to begin with is, when and how did you become a Christian? How did you know it? Was it one moment, a bunch of moments? What did being a Christian, becoming a Christian look like for you? I can start. Um, for me, it definitely was uh, one, uh, an event that happened. Um, I, I did grow up in church and went to, uh, we had Sabbath, uh, I, was, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, so we went to church on Saturday. Um, and so I was part of the youth group, but it wasn't until I was 22 years old that I had an experience where I, you know, I was, uh, very addicted to drugs and had overdosed. I didn't know what to do. Um, and I really wanted God's help. And I knew that there was a God and that I would have access to God. I knew all of these things um, in theory. Um, but it wasn't until I had a conversation with my mom and she kind of presented that again uh, to me and, and it became real. And so, that that evening, I just remember um, just a weight being lifted. I felt um, that God had seen me and God did love me, uh, even if I if I didn't love myself or I thought really uh, bad things about myself or that I had done horrible things. 
Um, and so I did feel like that day, I remember it, it was in June. Um, I, after that, I was uh, told that that was my spiritual birthday uh, in the tradition that I, you know, I, I grew up in. Uh, so th- yes, for me, it was a one, one day event, even though I had up to then learned a, a lot about the Bible and Bible stories uh, throughout my, my childhood and youth. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to Juan Pablo, I grew up in the church and and definitely uh, considered myself to be a, a Christian from a very young age. I was baptized at seven years old in the Southern Baptist Church, which if you know anything about the Southern Baptist, that's very irregular. That's very rare. Usually you're a lot older um, because in my church, especially, they, they would give you tests and like you would go up and interview in front of people before they would let you get baptized. Um, but for me, it was definitely not a one day thing, like becoming, and I still think I'm becoming a Christian rather than to say that I, I am one or I have become one. Um, because despite that growth in the church, despite the fact that I was baptized and, you know, put on that symbol of, of being a Christian very early on, like throughout my life, I have, you know, ex- had severe doubts. I have rejected, you know, in my older life, I rejected the church totally um, and have sort of had many experiences that really made me question the validity of a lot of the things that I was taught, a lot of the uh, things that people around me believed uh, about what it means to be a Christian and what, what that means for what you do with your life and, and how you view the world. and. Um, it's only in recent years, maybe over the last you know, five to 10 years that I've started to like, explore and rebuild and construct um, a Christianity that sort of makes more sense to me, that feels a little bit more right to me. Um, and you know, again, that, that's a process. I, I, again, it's, it is a process of building myself to become a Christian rather than, you know, a a moment or a day of conversion. That really resonates with me, both of your stories, and thank you for sharing them. Um, I think also for me, Christianity has been a process and not an event, right? Um, It's been long, although there are there are markers I can point to of special days where something distinct did change. Um, many urban village folks know, just because I talk a lot, because I preach, um, that I grew up in a non-religious family. Um, both my parents were raised within different church traditions, but for different and good reasons had left those um, and raised us without religious instruction. And then when I was about 15, I, I still don't know their full motivation, but I think basically they wanted to give their kids Um, a choice that they had never been given about what a good life or a religious life or a non-religious life might look like. And so they started bringing us for about a year um, to the most kind of open church they could find in the area that was the least likely to say anything bad about them or anyone we had ever known. And at first I was very um, 
defensive. I really felt not at ease there. I would, you know, read these hymns and I was like, I'm not going to sing these until I know exactly what all these words mean. And why are you all saying the same words at the same time? And what is this Bible? And I just had like a million questions and was um, pretty suspicious. Like the only people I had met who had identified themselves really strongly as Christians had been pretty cruel, honestly. And so I didn't have good associations. Um, but that community was a community that really held those questions that I had. They really like did not judge me, thought it was great to be curious. And each time they would read these stories about Jesus in church, I could feel my heart kind of jump up within me and I wanted more of it. Um, and so I ended up getting asked to asking to get baptized and confirmed. Um, and that day that I got baptized and confirmed in my faith, was a really important kind of turning point for me beginning to identify as a Christian. Um, but there were other important turning points that came later. It was probably not until eight years later that I really had a strong experience with God where I moved from like believing that grace was possible in my head to actually believing that grace was real for me, that I didn't need to do anything to be loved, that I didn't need to do anything to earn a relationship with Jesus Christ, that that was already there for me. Um, and it's been years since of trying to actually like get to know Christ better, <laughs> to become more Christ-like in my behavior, to become more convinced of love, that it actually changes how I am and how I act. And a lot of that has taken place within community. And it's been, as you described, John, like a lot of back and forth of what that means and what I think it takes and what the marks of being a Christian are. Um, and, and that's my experience of our community, that it really is like different for different people and different for everybody. So um, I, I had an, a, another comment on that because it, it um, one of the the things, you know, if, and I'm not sure if my experience is the same as other people in the LGBTQ community, but the the moment that I felt that that day, I had heard up until that time that I was going to go to hell and that I was not part of of Christianity or this group of people that I had known my whole life, uh, and so that day you know, this thought that I do belong to this group uh, or a greater uh, group of people, I think it's where it started this journey uh, for me. Uh, but it was that one day that I'm like, wait a minute, I am part of the kingdom or, you know, uh, I, I didn't have that word back then. But uh, anyway, so just to kind of give a little bit more background of, of that day, that of what happened that day. Yeah, thank you for that. And I think that brings us to one of our most frequently asked questions that the most people wanted us to address, um, which is, what is the difference between being Christian and not being Christian? <laughs> how do you know a Christian or how do you count as a Christian? Um, and this is an interesting version of that question. Who decides who is a Christian? And I think you can hear from our stories that we have a little bit different experience. So what are some of your first thoughts on this question of what's the difference between a Christian and not a Christian and who gets to decide? I, I could start. Very uh, interestingly enough, today's lectionary was about the Good Shepherd, uh, where Jesus says that he is the door, he's the uh, gate, the gatekeeper, the good shepherd, he's the one that decides who is and who is not. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And so when that comes to my own belief about people, I always consider myself first a follower of Jesus and then Christian because the, the word Christian has such a negative connotation to me sometimes. Um, it's, it's caused hurt. It's caused a lot of pain. It's caused a lot of, of uh, me questioning who I am in this world and in the church. Uh, so who is a Christian for me is when I'm in whatever situation, the person that I feel is leading uh, a life of love. And, and so sometimes that means of service to others. Um, in, in any of those situations, and I had a discussion with my brother about this, um, whenever I look at anything, if I'm looking at um, even the, the verdict this week, I have to see what, who would Jesus be with in this situation? And, and to me, that would be who is the Christian. So it could be a drug addict. It could be a sex worker. It could be people, those people that people would say are not uh, a Christian. Uh, Jesus, to me, says, no, they are a Christian. So it's, it's hard for me to tell, but I always look at, at who would Jesus bring in. And I think we're getting at a really interesting question here, which is like, who is a Christian versus who do we think is sort of doing Christianity well, <laughs> right? Because I, for me, the answer to who is a Christian is whoever says they are. Like, it's just, you know what I mean? I don't get to decide. Nobody gets to decide. People get to self-identify. Who's a Christian? Whoever says they are, right? Like, but then that becomes complicated because that means that there are Christians with whom I profoundly disagree, Right. There are people calling themselves Christian out there who lead hate movements, who hurt the world, who damage it. Not all of them, but some of them. And so then what does that mean about my Christianity? Um, I think it means that I'm responsible for telling what I believe to be the truthful story about what Jesus wants. Right. But it's it's complicated. I have this tattoo says brothers keeper. My brothers and I all have it. I am the keeper, even my brethren who I believe are following exactly the wrong way, right? Who are just like walking directly away from who Jesus was. I have some kind of responsibility and accountability towards them and they have some kind of responsibility and accountability towards me. Um, but I just can't imagine any definition of a Christian that would where an authority would be prized over the person's identification. People get to decide what their religion is. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Any other thoughts on this question, John? I mean, I, I always want to ask, like, what's behind the label, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a there's a famous line in, in Schitt's Creek that where uh, uh, one of the characters is ex- ex- describing their sexual preferences, and then they say, "Well, I like the the wine and not the label." Um, and I think with with Christianity, it's the same question for me is with the question rather of am I a Christian or who gets to be a Christian or who decides I want to know what's behind that is it is it the identification of the label because the label is important to you or are there feelings about whether or not you want to be connected to a particular community and you think that identifying in this way is the only way to connect to that community or to have sort of full 
membership and participation in that community, um, whether it be a faith community, whether it be a larger movement. Um, I don't know, but but that's 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 always a question that I ask because when why does it matter to you what people call you or whether or not you are or are not this thing? Um, because for me, you know, the the answer it varies. Like if the question is, can I come, for instance, to Urban Village and be part of this community and be loved by this community, participate in the life of this community without, do I have to call myself a Christian to do that because it's a church, it's a Christian, a Methodist church? I mean, for me, the answer is no, you don't have to call yourself a Christian. You don't have to claim that label. Um, and you don't have to, you know, tick any box. If you do claim that label, you don't have to tick any particular boxes to, to be a part of that community. Now, if the label itself is important to you, right, that it's, it's um, identifier just like someone's pronouns or their chosen name is a, a deep part of who they are right then that is something i think is not necessarily just decided by you but but a conversation that you have with others right you might feel that way you might feel that way but you can be hurt by others who for instance don't call you by your right pronouns mm-hmm. right and and that is a conversation that a community has to together to hold each other accountable for the identities that people have in there, right? That we that we get that right um, for those people, for the care of those people. Yeah, thank you for that distinction, John, because I think that's really true and important. One, one of the things that I always say to people when they're asking me this question, so here's another question that we're about to answer, which is, it, it has a million different versions. If I'm not sure I believe in God, can I be a Christian or go to church? If I have done drugs, can I go to church? If I don't pray every day, can I go to church? There's a thousand different versions, but I receive a thousand of these questions a year, right? If I X, Y, Z, can I go to church? Um, and and my answer is always, do you want to? Because <laughs> yes, you can, right? Yes, yes, of course you can. Um, and, and one of the reasons for that is that we believe that belonging is good and like belonging to a community is good and everyone should have access to it. But one thing that I always do do, particularly with people who are saying to me that they don't identify as Christian is try and be honest and clear about what they're going to find at our community. Right. Because I don't want to lie about what they're going to find. And the way that I usually describe us is we are a centered community, not a bounded community. So we're centered in the life of Jesus Christ and the Bible that we believe gives us access to God, if you come to Urban Village, that's what you're going to hear people preach about. That's the kind of music you're going to hear, right? It's going to be rooted in Jesus and a Christian understanding. I can't promise you you're going to get a song for every religion or a song for every theology or a song for every perspective, but we're not bounded. No matter who you are, you're welcome into the thing that we're doing. And we hope and assume that you will probably change us in some way right? Um, But that's the trickiness. So how about this question of like, if I X, can I be a part of a church, honestly and faithfully? If I believe X, if I do X, if I did X, are there any X's that for you would be a deal breaker? And how do you tell? Yeah, I mean, this is something that 
I feel like you know I I have a small group that I'm very close to uh, in church that has been operating for a long uh, long time. It started out as a book club and and it is sort of expanded over the last maybe five or six years into just us meeting together because we like it regardless of topic and and that's something that the church has brought together. But it is a question that we have asked many, many times, uh, right? Because this is a community that we're in. Our church is bold. It's inclusive. Inclusivity is one of our like primary values, one of the reasons that we joined the church. But the, the idea of deal breakers are always there. And despite the fact that, you know, Hannah, you said that we are a centered, not necessarily a bounded community, I think there are some bounds, right? They, But I don't think that they're necessarily ones that people tend to think of like uh Juan Pablo has already told you and I I also have done drugs right not a deal breaker come be in this place share life with us um share you know Christ accepts you I think in that way um whatever your job is sex workers I, I've, I've worked with sex workers um, and and they they come to church and and I think that we accept them there. Um, the deal breakers for me are when you start to harm a community. It's not something that you've done to yourself. It's not the self-destructive tendencies if you have them, or or whatever passions that you have. But when you actively and willfully harm other people in that community, now unintentional harms, slights, you know things that you do, people fall down, we help each other up, we help each other through those things. But if your intention when you come is to harm and not to care, and is to harm and not to be cared for, then I think that's where I sort of draw the line. And like, then I ask like, do you really want to be here? You know, do you want to be a part of this community or are you here to sort of invade it, <laughs> right? And there's a difference between participation and invasion. Well, and I think I would also say this is where we come to the difference between Christian as a big giant community of 2 billion people and then any given specific Christian community of one church. Um, because I've served a couple of different churches now, and I'm going to change some details of this story because I wouldn't want to blow up anybody's spot, right? But the only time I have ever kicked someone out of worship was because that person was stalking another person in the worshiping community, right? That's a line. Like you can't that our communities can't be places for that kind of harm. But when I told that person you can no longer be here, I told them I will find a space for you to have a community and to be Christian. It just can't be this one because of the harm it would cause, right? And this is the wonderful part of being a part of a much bigger community that can hold a lot of different kinds of things and a lot of different kinds of struggles. That doesn't make the person not a Christian, but it might make a given community not an appropriate or like good place for them to be, right? So, yeah. I, I I also have been in a small group uh, like you, John, uh, for many years when I first started at Urban Village four years ago um, and was part of a queer men's group, and we still meet. Um, and in the beginning, as different people were joining the group, there were people that either have only heard of Jesus in peripheral because they did not grow up. Um, in a Christian uh, uh, tradition, 
uh, Buddhist or anything else, other. Yeah, we had a Buddhist uh, person in our group. Um, we had a Catholic in our group, which is Christian, uh, but very many different people believing different things. Um, as a small group leader, I was always bringing them back to the teachings of Christ because that was what I believed in the tradition I believe. And it was very interesting because after, you know, months and months have gone by, these same people that I would say were not Christian, because in the beginning, I would say they did not profess a, a belief in Jesus, uh, but have remained uh, part of the group because as they're learning about um, Jesus, or we did a, a whole series on the the time between the resurrection and when a Pentecost Sunday uh, came around, what Jesus was doing here and the, the richness in the conversations and the questions and the understanding of why Jesus came and why we follow him uh, resonated in everything that they did. And it really helped change my mind around um, these strict labels that I myself have placed on myself and on other people and have seen how loving and have followed the, the, the things that I would say are Christian or are Jesus um, that they've have, they have always uh, followed in their own traditions and are still an integral part of our group. And when we chat or talk, they're still part of this group. And so it always makes me myself wonder who is a Christian and who is not. Well, well and this is a perfect segue, Juan Pablo. We're about to enter into the open question part. So if you have a question, pop it in the comments, pop it on onlinequestions.org. We're going to get to everything. Um, but one of the frequent questions is, yeah, like what if I'm multiple things? <laughs> what does it mean to have multiple faith identities and religious identities? Or what does it mean to be a part of communities and families that have multiple faiths and multiple religious identities? What does that mean for my Christianity? Um, and, and I'll just say, like from, from my perspective, many of you know, my family sort of ranges, my, my family of origin from humanist to atheist in their self-description. Um, and my husband is Jewish, right? So like, I clearly believe that you can be a fully formed and practicing Christian and be in a deep community with people who are not and have that be an enriching experience. I spent a lot of my early career doing interfaith um, social justice and service work. And one of the things we would always set out is um, we are distinctly different from one another. We don't have to pretend we're not, right? Like this is one of the great gifts of being alive and being a human is that we are actually different. And we share certain things like the city of Chicago or like a desire that people not be hungry anymore or like a nation together. And so what are the ways that we can find the things that we do share and create these incredibly beautiful um, relationships of learning and humility across whatever lines of difference there may be. Um, and of course, if those are the kinds of communities we live in, some of us are going to have multiple affiliations and multiple traditions. Um, I, the fourth caliph, Ali, of Islam, one of my Muslim friends taught me this saying that I love, um, said, all men are either my brothers in faith or my equals in creation. If our faith claim is that all are created by a good and divine being, 
well, then all people have something to teach us. <laughs> all people might have something that we need to learn from. And that's like a good sense of generousness and humility and conviction about the creation of God that we need to maintain, in my view. So that's kind of how I think about this question of multiple faith identities, either in a community or in yourself. Any other thoughts on that one? Okay, it kind of connects to this other question we've gotten that I think is really interesting, which is um, what role do the creeds play? Like how do creeds define what a Christian is or what is right or what is not? So for those who may not have heard of creeds before, there are multiple versions of creeds which are kind of simple, direct um, statements of the core tenets of faith for a particular group within the Christian community. So ones you can Google right now are the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. And these are sort of ancient articulations of faith that many Christians still today will read in worship or in devotional practice that sort of form this shaping of what is a priority for the Christian community or what are the basics. Um, for me, I find creeds to be this incredible connection to the ancient history of my faith community. And I they do happen to be personally true for me, um, but they haven't been a huge tool that was used in my faith formation just because of the particular kinds of churches I was a part of. Um, so I, I find this question really interesting. How do you all feel about creeds? Uh, <clears throat> uh, I grew up with the Apostles' Creed, and it, it, especially in the Catholic, because I did first was Catholic, and we believe in the Virgin Mary, uh, that, uh, that Jesus was born of a virgin birth. Um, we believe in the Almighty God, one God. Um, <clears throat> some of those things are, are still things that, I hold as true, even if I might not have the whole creed, the whole Apostles' Creed memorized. Uh, but there are a few things that even if I were to have a creed, especially in the small group where I'm saying that there are people that have different um, faith traditions. Uh, and so for, my, for myself, the creed might be that I believe that God created the universe. Even though many people might think, I personally believe it, that God created it through the Big Bang. Some people believe that God created it in literally seven days. Uh, but it's still part of a, of a general belief that I could say this is part of my creed, uh, that I believe that uh, we should have communion, that communion brings about unity. That might be part of, of my creed because it's such a deep uh, belief in me that communion brings unity, that communion table is open to all. Uh, that's for me a personal a personal creed. And then the third one, because I love small groups so much, uh, is that I believe that we are here to make disciples, which for me means that I uh, talk to someone else about what I believe and, and how I believe that I should be present in this world. And perhaps bring someone else into that same kind of belief. And so I, I, I might not know the whole Apostles' Creed anymore like I did when 
you know, I was trying to go through confirmation. Um, but I do have, I guess these are my parts of creeds that I still hold dear to um, when it comes to the, the basics of what I believe in my own uh, walk. I think creeds are useful in some ways as sort of short summary statements of a general belief system. Uh, where I think they become a little bit dangerous is when, and this is something that, that occurs in, in many, many traditions and faiths um, and denominations where they become sort of litmus tests right, that you become, that, you know, if you, you need to adhere to all of these things, otherwise you don't belong. Uh, and I'll just give sort of, you know, there, there are some places that hold these to be literally true, almost second to the scripture in their, in their original forms, in, in the ideas that they convey. Um, but there are other, you know, denominations and traditions that call them, you know, important documents, but uh, I think the Reformed Church in America, for instance, calls them faithful historical witnesses. Uh, and I really like that term, right? That it's a, it's a term that talks about these and gives them their due importance to the life of a community and to the belief system of a community, saying that at this time, to the best of their knowledge, this was what they believed. This is how they interpreted the scriptures. This was a central document in the framing of someone's worldview and really had impact on the way that people live their lives. Um, where, you know, one of the reasons that that language of faithful historical witness came up and why I like it so much is because the specific creeds and confessions that the Reformed Church in America, for instance, had, and I use this as an example because it's an example that I know the best, that they, they had used historically had a lot of really problematic passages. Um, and I'm not talking about things like, you know, is the resurrection of Christ true or not? Did God descend into hell in the third day? Like the Apostles' Creed says, do we even believe it? That, those are not the questions. I mean, there is a line in the Belgian Confession, which is one of their creeds, that talks about the fact that the Reformed people, the Calvinists, need to go kill the Anabaptists because they're heretics. And, you know, maybe that's what was interesting in the wars of religion, you know, back in medieval Europe, you can't really do that now. <laughs> uh, you, you really shouldn't do that now. And that, that seems right. a little One bit- One might recommend against it. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and, and so like to say that the creed doesn't change, that these articles of faith don't change, you know, that's a problem, <laughs> right? And if, if you hold that to be true, you know, then if you believe this, you should be like taking, you know, girding up your loins and taking your sword and going off to war against that. You shouldn't do that, right? That's crazy. Um, so, so that's why I think like those things need to be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt and that we, my general test for the creed. And, and remember, most of them start out with, I believe, we believe. It's a statement of belief and not necessarily of action, right? That they should be tested against a lot of the other sources of knowledge that we have, not about each other, about our communities and about God. And that they are not the end all be all of what determines someone's faith or someone's Christianity.
Well, and this last point you make, John, really connects to our next question. It, and something I just want to say to everyone is the whole idea of faith community or faith um, identification or faith participation being determined primarily by belief and what you're willing to confess to is a really particular and pretty like European way of thinking about what a human being is or how identity even happens. It's not useful for a lot of us and it's not true for most religious people. Um, and so the, the entire focus in American Protestant world of what do you believe or what are you willing to state um, is to me like not the most useful question to be asking about our faithfulness or about our relationship to Jesus or about our relationship to one another. Um, I really appreciate that you said Juan Pablo, if I was forced to sit down and like name a non-negotiable besides Jesus Christ himself, it'd be communion. It, it would be a practice, a communal practice, not a belief of any kind, you know? And I still don't know how, where I'm at on that. Um, but here's the question from um, Parker. Thank you, Parker. And we may need you to ex explain this a little further. Should we hold our religious claims and beliefs to the same epistemic standards as we do all other beliefs if we make exceptions where and why? And if you're not familiar, so I, I believe what Parker's getting at with the word epistemic is, um, should we determine what we know or believe when it comes to religion the same way we determine what we know or believe or hold to be true when it comes to what is a fruit and what is a, what is a vegetable or how do you build a house? Um, and, and I think this kind of gets at questions about are there areas where we go on faith and areas where we wouldn't or areas where we use certain kinds of tools of analysis and areas where we use others? Okay, Parker says I'm spot on. Good. <laughs> Thanks, Parker. Um, what do we think about this? That's such a deep question. Uh, if I think about where do I, um, what's, wh what do I use to determine the method of evaluation I'm going to use when it comes to something that someone says that they believe, especially if someone is coming at me with, um, and or what I consider homophobic uh, beliefs. Um, this is a this is something that I have been grappling with for decades. Um, you know, what do I hold to be the truth? Do I use the words that are in the Bible that and the verses that say homosex, homosexual? Um, or do I use something else to determine what is the truth? So if, if the Bible is saying these things specific, then what am I going to use to evaluate that um, about around homosexuality and loving uh, someone of the same gender or a transgender person that is not specific uh, words in the Bible. And that's always something that is I'm constantly doing and questioning. And I think that's the beauty of having uh, a, your own journey. And for me, the way that I would uh, tell someone when it comes to evaluating something like that is that I will always use, first of all, just the, the first commandment, the greatest commandment, and the second commandment that Jesus gave us. I Those would be my litmus test to evaluating anything that anyone um, questions or asks me. Uh, love, the, love 
the Lord your God with all your mind, strength, and um, oh my gosh, I can't forget the third one. Uh, mind, strength, heart, soul, soul, and mind. Heart, soul, mind, yes. <laughs> and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things that are for me, like, um, are what I used in everything else tense on the side of that. I'm going to let our PhD student wrap us up on this question because I feel like it's tailor-made for you, John. But um, I, I want to say for me, yes, I, I evaluate everything the same way. I, I have the same standards for everything in my life. But that's probably because I believe most of life is a little bit more faith-based than some people do, right? So like when I think about um, if my doctor prescribes me a medication for an illness, why do I decide to take it or not take it, right? Um, there's a couple reasons. One is maybe I've read some of the studies about that medication or sickness. Maybe I have, maybe I've used my brain and my reason to analyze. Um, and sometimes I have done that, but a lot of the times I don't have the capacity to fully analyze that to the extent that my doctor does. Right. So I'm also relying on a sort of intuitive, instinctive trust of whoever I've chosen my doctor to be, that I feel related to them, that I feel that they are kind, that I feel that they are trustworthy. I'm relying on history and on community, that there's a big group of people that have chosen them to be a doctor, that have validated them, right? And, and said, this person knows enough to give you good recommendations, that I'm relying on a history of healers who have taught one another and built on one another's work and I think that when I kind of take this step from this healer, I can rely on it like pretty good and pretty much. Um, in all areas of our lives, we are both analyzing, relying on instinct and taking leaps of faith simultaneously is my take. Um, and, and so I believe that true things are true and that God is present in everything. And we always might be making a mistake in every truly single area of our lives. <laughs> So I, I'm going to do sort of a classic move and interrogate <laughs> the premise of the question a little bit. Like there is a sort of assumption here that we in fact apply, you know, that religion is the exception or faith is the exception to epistemic claims uh, or to how we evaluate epistemic claims or, you know, how we know things are what they are, right? Another word for that. Um, and I'm not sure we do all the time, right? For instance, like I believe in my heart and will never, like it is a, a creed of faith for me, that Illini basketball is the best <laughs> basketball program in the country. We bleed orange and blue through and through here. <laughs> right. Regardless of the fact that all evidence, statistically performance-based recent history tells me that that is wrong. Screw that, they're the best. It will always be the best, right? Um, but the, the question that I have is like, is there somebody who's going to come up to me and be like, look, I mean, actually there have been, uh, you know, Duke basketball sits here. Kentucky is the winningest program, like, and, and give me all, we can say that all we want, but we don't, these are not the things that we're necessarily talking about, right? The reason that so often we talk about epistemic claims or claims of like what we know as foundational knowledge. Um, the, the reason that we think it's important is because some of those claims have effect on other people's lives and sometimes really big effects. Um, and 
you know, I think there is often a tendency to remove faith from that, to not subject it to the same sort of rigorous standard, um, because there there is a tendency, especially in American uh, Christianity or in American views of religion, that faith is a private thing, right? That it's about what you believe inside, how you live your life, and and this, this goes to, uh, it's a very American attitude, right? And so we say, who cares? We don't need to evaluate faith on this, on the same standards of reason or, or whatever. But, I mean, history has shown us that faith is incredibly powerful in the public square, right? It can lead to different, you know, it can lead to war. It can lead to different social impacts. It can lead to you know, the justification of things like slavery can lead to the discrimination that we have against LGBTQI plus persons. Faith needs to be, in my opinion, then when it is at that level, when it enters into the public sphere, evaluated on the same premises as other forms of knowledge. Now, what I think that means, though, is necessarily that like, oh, can faith establish a scientific fact? Like, do we think the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact? Can we prove that somehow scientifically the body can reanimate, right? No, I don't think that's what we mean. But similarly, I, I want to ask people like, how do you know what you know, even with something like science? Hannah, you mentioned like reading like academic journals, but you didn't conduct those things yourself. Right. Um, the reason that even scientists rely on statistical theory, but we have never interrogated necessarily statistical theory. And there's always a probability within statistics that the hypothesis is in fact wrong, even though not X number of times we think that it probably is right. Right. How do we ever claim that something is an absolute truth? How do we ever subject it? And I think you brought something up that, you know, if we look at it further, really is the way that faith, science, what we believe about politics, all of those things are evaluated is that, is it practical? Does it actually work? Does it do the things that we ask it to do, right? When we look at a vaccine, does it in fact vaccinate and uh, like protect us against X number of cases? And like, is it reducing our you know, ability to contract a, a virus. You know, we don't know, we haven't done the studies, we haven't looked at the statistics, we have, we've only done this with a certain sample of people, but we believe in it because the larger sample, it's seeming to work, right? And, and I think that you know, faith can be the same way, but that's when we have to ask, like, do the claims matter? Do the claims matter? Is this actually a loving, thing like if we say that christianity or any faith is a, is a religion of love it's a religion where people are being built up is it actually doing that you know then though that's the test for instance of the epistemic claim. yeah okay. is is it changing you is it changing your community i want to we have a couple questions i want to make sure we get to one is i should have been clearer earlier someone is asking me to be clear and I, I gave an example earlier, if folks just joined, of a person causing harm within a community that we could find a way for them to still be in some form of Christian community, but maybe not this one. And someone said, well, the Catholic Church had a history of moving predatory priests from church to church. When is enough enough? And I want to be clear, 
I was imagining in that moment, this person did not um, submit to this kind of connection. There are communities specifically for abusers to work through their abuse in which it is known to all um, the, the various activities of people within the community. I would not simply pass on someone who repeatedly caused harm to another community without clarity, if at all possible. So that's that is an important like ethical view for us as we consider our communities. And then here's a great question um, that a couple of people want. What does evangelism look like? If all of this is what we're saying a Christian is and what we're saying a church is, what is evangelism for us? And and I will say evangelism's really important to me as someone for whom like becoming a Christian changed my whole life. And I am really glad that someone invited me in. And there's a particular colonial history of evangelism that is just only damage, only harm, only destruction. So what is evangelism is one question. And the the test for me, you talk about test, John, is, um, well, here's how I think about it. I am not invested in making anybody be anything. I am invested that a lot of people know when they're looking at their table of options that this is one of the options, that a Jesus who cares about your liberation is one of the options. And then respecting everyone's humanity and autonomy and own createdness means that anyone for whom I am trying to let them know that this is one of the options on the table has to be able to say no has to be able to tell me that they don't want to hear about it right now. And I have to be able to hear that and respect that in order for anything Christian to be happening in that situation. So then there's a lot of little questions of like, okay, what is appropriate to do and what isn't that I think about all the time. But that's my general framework is I want everybody to know this is one of the options. And that's my concern. How do you two think about this question? Juan Pablo, what is what is evangelism? What is outreach? What is invitation to be a Christian? Well, I've done, I think I've been, part, I've participated in many different types of evangelism. Um, one, going to the street and talking to people as they come by, asking, you know, regular questions. Do you believe you're, if you die today, would you go to heaven or hell? Um, I've done... I've gone with people knocking on doors, kind of doing the same thing. Um, today, uh, when I do evangelism, it's kind of, instead of this calling out, which is mostly what I, I was used to, telling people, if you die, help and hell, that's, I feel like calling people out. I want to bring people in into what I uh, profess to be values that I have in my life that I, uh, I'm led by. Uh, for me, those are uh, all by examples of what Jesus did in, in his uh, life here on earth. Uh, so I start with kind of, kind of that, um, use that as a model. Um, and for me, that might be just having lunch with someone and talking about something around social justice um, and talking about Black Lives Matter why that's important for us to um, to go out and march. I uh, did that with with um, Toledo and uh, Adam Toledo, um, inviting people there that I would not uh, consider that don't go to church with me. But I'm like, hey, would you go with me? That to me is leading a life as Jesus would lead. 
And um, so I do it by example and also invite people in to those things that I do. Um, so that's my form of, of evangelism. Sorry, I'm struggling to find the unmute button. Um, uh, I struggled with this question so much. Like it, to me, it's one of the hard. You know, epistemic's fine, but evangelism very, very difficult. Very difficult. Um, one of the one of the ways I think that's been really helpful for me in recent years to look at evangelism is that. Uh, in many ways, the traditional view of evangelism is to sort of take people's eyes and point them up to God, right? And uh, someone once told me that maybe we should rethink this and point people's eyes horizontally toward each other, right? There's a verse in John, uh, you know, that, that comes just a few verses before John 316, this you know, very famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Where Jesus is talking about you know, how do we know God? How do we know heavenly things? And he has this line there that says, I have told you of earthly things and you do not understand. How can you possibly know of heavenly things? I'm really skeptical everybody every anytime somebody tells me that like evangelism is to give the good news of Christ and to talk about heaven and okay sure fine but I'm with Juan Pablo and, and the example Juan Pablo is setting of like bringing people in and saying like look around you let's talk about Adam Toledo let's talk about George Floyd let's talk about the care for our Asian American siblings, right? For the immigrants at the border. Right? These are things that Christians should have a hand in, that if we're going to preach love, if we're gonna say that we've got good news, right? The Bible says we give good news to the captives, to the poor, to the orphan and the widow, not to the ones who don't know anything about God or who don't profess the name of Jesus. I mean, there are some verses of that, but if you look at the bulk of the verses in the Bible, the good news is to be proclaimed to those people. And what the good news is for those people is something radically different than, hey, look, there's a heaven so that all of your suffering ends when you're dead. No, we're supposed to bring the end of suffering, to bring support, to bring care to those people here and now. And that is the good news that Christ is preaching. And the good news that Christ in in the gospels actually does right and then that points to heaven and and i think this also gets back to a couple of the other conversations we've had in this which is um my experience of the kind of evangelism you were describing juan pablo this this sort of like here's what hell is do something about it right where often the the people are seeking to get a person to say 10 magic words or to make one claim in one moment. It's not about life transformation. It's not about intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Anything that's based on making people more scared so that they will be obedient is not of Christ. If it's based on giving people a base from which to be brave so they can be more loving, so, they, so we can be transformed together, 
that feels like Christ. So there is this like feeling part to me too, is what, what is the impact of what you're doing? How is it impacting people? How is it impacting you? Um, we'll give you a, a good direction on, on what it is and whether it counts and whether it's good or not. I, I think that, that that's the difference between asking someone to believe in someone that died, was resurrected, has a lot of scars. It sounds like a zombie. Instead of me talking about this zombie, for someone that doesn't know, how about if I show them about this person by doing something um, and inviting them with me to do it with me or to think about or look for the the, pers the person that's being oppressed in this situation. Let's look at the poor in this situation. Those are all the people that Jesus prefers. Um, if we can lead people to those to that uh, realization that the poor and the oppressed are the ones that uh, God is here for and Jesus came for, um, then that for me is evangelism. That's turning uh, their gaze from me calling them, uh, you know, sinners and, and believe in this guy that's still walking on earth. That It just sounds gruesome. <laughs> Well, see, I, my response is different, which is like what's great about Christianity, right? Which is that what was powerful to me about knowing Jesus was that I felt like a person with scars who needed resurrection, who like needed a promise of life that wasn't about erasing me, but about making me a part of something bigger. And I, yeah, does it feel like that or does it feel like fear? Because the thing that Jesus says more often than anything else is do not fear. And so if the main thing you're getting out of whatever somebody's selling you is being more scared, I don't think they're pointing you in the direction of Jesus Christ. That's just my, that's my opinion. And we've hit two. So unfortunately we've got to close, but this is a conversation that is ongoing. Please leave more questions in the comments and online questions. And we'll try and do maybe a follow-up either at the beginning of the prayer session, which is this Thursday at seven or through posts on the Facebook or our YouTube page. We've gotten a lot here. Um, thank you for being a part of this conversation. Thank you for being here. Feel free to share with your family and friends or write your own thoughts in the comments. And I just want to give a real thank you to Juan Pablo and to John for sharing their time and their wisdom and their faithfulness with us and to Caleb who you have not seen but who has been directing us this entire time and making it possible. So thank you all. God bless you all and have a great day.